Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Peter Joseph, and you're listening to V Radio. Hello, you heard right. You're listening to V Radio. Welcome to this edition of V Radio. Today we have, uh, once again, the honor of having Jock Fresco and Roxanne Meadows of the Venus Project on our show. Um, Roxanne was just excited to hear about this uh, um, Your Country, Your Call uh, competition going on in Ireland. Um, I'm actually going to go ahead and play a message from Mary McCallis, I'm sorry, McCallis, President of Ireland. I'm sure I butchered that, and I'm Irish, which makes it even worse. I'm going to go ahead and play this message from her. It's only a couple minutes long, but um, it actually gives me a lot of hope, considering that they seem to be thinking out of the box. We'll see. Um, but you can vote for this idea, and uh, whichever um, idea basically wins gets 200,000 euro. Um, we're not really worried about that in so much as just exposure for the idea. Um, so that being said, I'm going to go ahead and play this. Um, if you're in the chat room, please let me know as quickly as possible uh, if, the, if the sound for this is not coming through well. Thank you. Here we go. In the last decade, we have all been on a roller coaster. We have journeyed together in a short few years from an economic high to a national crisis. And as we look to the future, it falls to us to use the coming decade wisely. It's time to shake off the doldrums and get back on our feet. In Ireland, we've always known the value of coming together at times of adversity. For hundreds of years, the concept of the metal nourished our nation. Neighbors coming together to share the workload and then to share the fruits. The generations that have gone before us summed it up very nicely. Our strength is in working together. Now we need to harness the many faceted power of the metal. Your country, your call, is Laksa A, is a competition, but it's more than that. It's an act of faith in our collective brain power. It seeks game-changing proposals for economic renewal. It wants to identify new ways of doing things that we already do, or completely new ideas for industries, businesses, services, or community enterprises. It belongs to and it's open to all, to young, old, urban, rural, employed, unemployed, and it welcomes ideas from all walks of Irish life. Your country, your call, is a modern-day mind metal. It honors the cooperative spirit of all those generations that have passed before, but it calls on this generation to pull our talents, combine our brain power, and show that we have the strength to move mountains. We have it within us to change things for the better. We have the will. Now we need fresh radical thinking to put Ireland back on its feet. This competition aims to harvest that thinking. So get involved in your country, your call, is Lapsa A. So that was the presentation from the President of Ireland in regards to this particular contest. Um, I assume you guys heard that okay? Yes, we did. Yes. 
Excellent. Well, I mean, um, it's very promising. Uh, she's talking about radical thinking and cooperation and working together. What did you guys think? I honestly can't say. She might get more than she bargained for, but just the fact that right now I understand that it's number one. Somebody put up a resource-based economy from our page, and it's being forced to the forefront, so they have to look at it. Yep. That's very true. Very true. Um, you know, that's why I said earlier. I mean, you know, we could we could dream that it would you know turn into something really amazing, but um, no matter what, it's going to be it's going to be something that's going to. You know, we know that the president of Ireland will be looking at our ideas. So, um, yeah, you know, guys, you can uh, check this out. Uh, I have offered the link once in chat. I'm going to offer it again because for some reason chat is actually not very well populated today. You guys are being chickens and not getting in the chat room again. Uh, but there it is. It's yourcountryyourcall.com. Uh, you can look it up there. I'm going to try to provide it on my blog as well. Um, speaking of the blog, the questions that will be asked today, I have probably more than we'll even be able to cover, have already been provided to Jacques in written format. Uh, you guys will be able to look at those at the V Radio blog, which you can get to by going to v-radio.org, vradio.org, with a hyphen between V and radio. Um, and clicking the blog button, and uh, there you will find the questions that we're going to be asking today. Um, the first one is a little bit rough, um, but we'll get into that in a little bit. Before I get into these questions, I wanted to say, uh, you know, did you guys, I mean, where are you guys going next in your tour? What's the, what's the first stop? I just wanted to mention one more thing about your, your country, your call. Is that what that was? Yes. That that um, I mentioned it was number one, but people are voting on it. So if people can go to that website and put a vote in for the resource-based economy, if that's what they're interested in, it would be extremely helpful. Right, I thought you're right. You know what, I didn't even say that, and I should have. I'm sorry, being a bonehead. But yeah, no, please go there and vote. That's the point of me giving you the link. YourCountryYourCall.com, um, the, the resource-based economy is currently in first place, and it was only like by 500 votes or so that we managed to get there, from what I understood. So your vote actually will matter. Now, I imagine they're probably more interested in getting people with Irish IPs, but it doesn't change the fact that we've taken interest in this, and that will make them look at it regardless. So. Well, um, this is global, and there's a good Irish chapter in Ireland mm -hmm. of the Zygais movement. And we're scheduled to speak in Dublin, Ireland, August 14th. That's excellent. I wish I could be there. I have to tell you, I, I loved Ireland when I visited it. Uh, I really did. Um, just everybody there just had such a great attitude. I mean, I, I mean, I imagine there's problems there just like anything else, but in comparison to what I was, you know, what accustomed to dealing with in the United States, everybody was so friendly and polite and everybody was so mellow. You know, you get this, this impression that supposedly the country's full of a bunch of brawlers or something, but the whole time I was there, I never even witnessed a single incident, and I only saw a single police officer the whole time, and he was in the airport where you'd expect to see police officers. Um, it was a great country. I really enjoyed being there, and it was so beautiful, and everything tasted so much better because there was no industry. It was like one dairy farm from one side to the other. Um, we had a wonderful article written up in one of their top magazines called Irish Entrepreneur, which is a strictly business magazine, and they did a terrific article. That's excellent. On the business project, yeah. Well, um, that being said, then okay. So when did you, I was as I was asking, uh, what when is your first stop on the tour? We are scheduled to speak April 6th in Colombia, Bogota, Colombia. 
And from there, we're practically speaking in another location every Saturday. From there, we go to New Zealand, where we have two lectures, and then Australia, where we have four lectures, then to Japan, India, Slovenia, Greece, Netherlands, and it goes on from there. We're going to have the dates and the locations listed. If they're not up by now on our site, they'll be up very shortly. You know, I find myself... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say the locations where they're selling tickets already are on the site now. Excellent. Um, you, know, I, you know, I find myself curious, since Jacques you know, been around for so long, are, are any of these countries new for you, Jacques? Are you going any place you've never been before? Yes, these are relatively new. Excellent, excellent. Well, um, I guess uh, if you guys are ready, we could start pouring into the first question. Um, I will go ahead and read it. If you guys want to go ahead and uh, read it again, you know, read it on your side while I'm reading it over here, and then we can make sure we get it done. Um, this is actually uh, a request to try to clarify something that came up during the Z-Day Q&A. Uh, we had a question about art. Uh, and it kind of got a little out of hand as far as being inflammatory as far as the way it was reacted to. So I'm trying to clarify the issue here. I'm going to go ahead and read, since the girl was able to provide a transcript of what she had asked on Z-Day, I'm going to go ahead and read it here. I actually had to edit it for um, spelling. I should have sent you guys the edited version. It didn't even occur to me. but um, I apologize in advance for this being a question in the form of a statement. It is my perception that there is little endorsement intellectual innovation in an organization whose focus is growth and dissemination. A lot of Asian. The future by design should not rest on the blueprint or mouthpiece of one man, no matter how productive or effective he may be. It is not just the media, the public, the Greeks, the man whose attention is needed, it is the artists, writers, poets, and musicians, in addition to the scientists, designers, engineers, and network administrators. Let's not discount the necessity of an avant-garde, lest we are willing to disregard our attachment to movement. Culture shapes the values, but art forms the culture. Do you think there is a place in the zeitgeist movement for an artist not as an executor or of a designated task or design project? That's a very difficult question to answer because I believe language was designed hundreds of years ago, and so we tend to talk at each other rather than to one another. But engineers and scientists use a language that's not subject to interpretation. So as I give a description of what an artist is, it's based on the reference that I use to describe an artist not the dictionary. The dictionary does not describe an artist in enough detail for me to understand it, and I doubt whether anyone else does. I'm going to describe what I feel an artist is. Uh, Leonardo da Vinci, when he was very young, made sketches, but he could not communicate that ability to other people. He just felt what they needed was a lot of practice and work, until Leonardo began to check the relationship of the head to the size of the body, the shape of the hand, how it relates to the body. When he reduced all that to mathematical expressions, he was able to communicate that ability to other people. Prior to that, when they say, how is it that you draw so well? He says, I don't know, it just came to me. That's the artist. The, the person that measures the difference 
and can communicate the art world to others is, is better adapted for informing other people in the nature of how to draw or how to paint. Prior to that, people used to say, I don't know, I just turn my hands, I'm a sculptor, I, I just have it naturally. They didn't know, actually. It's like a person saying to you, when did you learn to speak? Was it Saturday morning, February the 8th? You can't set a date. It's a slow process, and most artists are not aware in detail how it is that they draw or create. They say things like, I don't know, I was just sitting down one day and it came to me. They don't know, but technicians can tell you usually where they get the ideas from. The artist is an early stage of art, which occurred many, many years ago. Today, when a doctor says scalpel, hemostat, it's not subject to interpretation. They know exactly what it means. The artist's language today is subject to interpretation, does not have exact meaning, and when you learn how to describe art, then you're halfway there. In other words, when I invent anything, I have to have an operational definition. In other words, if I'm to make stereoscopic movies without glasses, I have to know what stereoscopy is, how we perceive depth, how it takes two eyes, and the role that two eyes play in achieving depth. But if you don't know those things, you can't even state the problem. So to this, the history of invention and innovation is being able to state the problem. And most people don't even know what the problem is. That's very true, Jacques. And I think that it, it, when you're trying to explain the Venus Project, you often run into situations where you know, people don't actually understand that the problem goes a lot further than they think. You know, they think maybe we'll just do a little patchwork here or there. You know, we'll fix, like, you know, rights for these people, or maybe we'll open up a soup kitchen. But that doesn't really solve anything. It doesn't actually, I mean, it's a good, you know, it makes you feel good, but it doesn't really, you know, address any of the problems. Um, now, Roxanne, did you want to comment any further? I mean, I remember you said something you were asking, like, what is it exactly that artists do? And I know that you were coming to more of a point there, and I was hoping you could finish your point because you weren't really given enough time on Z-Day. Well, I think we did mention this point, and maybe Peter mentioned that, that the artist cannot contribute in any way that can ease suffering or create more yield per acre or, or make a better transportation system. I had mentioned that it's mostly self-centered. But um, I don't want people to think that we would exclude anyone or, or not focus on the arts. But in, in a resource-based economy, artists would have more time to work on the arts if that's what they wanted to do. But they'd also be given the opportunity to learn a lot more things, which give them a broader reference and gives them the ability to work on other things. If they knew other things and even knew how to draw better, they might want to expand in other areas. That, that might be more useful for the entire society. But artists would, would have art, art supplies available given to them. They'd have places to go to work on things or studios of their own. Nothing would be excluded or banned. 
there'd be more room for creating art or music or anything they might want to do. They would be encouraged to do that and given the materials if that's what they wanted to do. You know, and that's actually what I've told people on the forums as well, um, was that, you know, because I, I thought about this because we're, we're developing a Spirit of the Age music program. It's like a project where we're getting together musicians from around the Zeitgeist movement to write original music because one of the other aspects of activism that was so successful you know, for the civil rights movement, for the anti-war movement, uh, movements like that is that, you know, they had music that was very compelling. Um, like during the Ron Paul campaign, they had some amazing music. Um, mm -hmm. And so the idea was is that, you know, I, I talked to a lot of musicians at the Michigan Z-Day who were performing there, and, you know, a lot of them had a great music that, they, that nobody has ever heard of, and that's the monetary system. The monetary system makes it really hard to get your music heard. And, that, and when they produce it, they do it in such a way that benefits them. They, you know, like if they have a certain agenda, like the reason why rock and roll changed so radically between the late 80s, early 90s, and into the grunge stuff was because the record companies actually blacklisted anybody who would not play grunge uh, Seattle-style music. Um, if anybody wants to doubt me on that, i got documentation on it. But the point is, though, is that the – the monetary system controls your music because they don't want the artists to have very much power over what they're allowed to say. They, and it's nothing new. It's not new at all. They did the same thing to the monkeys. The monkeys didn't want to be a Beatles cover band, but they were forced to do it by their contracts. Um, there have been a lot of examples of that, actually. So, um, and as far as like other writers, you're never going to see, um, you're never going to see uh, starving artists. You know, you're never going to see people struggling for it. And more to the point, just like it is for geniuses who would, you know, who would take on like, you know, ideas like, you know, like Jacques always talks about how we could have more Edisons and more Teslas and more, you know, Da Vinci's if we lived in a world where, you know, people didn't have to work a nine to five job. I know a lot of artists, for example, who are very talented, but they don't, they can't really, they can't really, exp you know, experience this or express it because they have to work a job and they have to pay the bills and they don't have the time to do it. So that being, this, that being the case, I wanted to point out that uh, this system really um, actually, in my opinion, the Venus Project will make art flourish in ways that it has never been seen before. Because every time I've ever seen money applied to any art, um, you basically are, it turns to crap. I mean, I'm, I'm putting it lightly. Anytime money gets involved in art, it turns to crap. Um, so that being said, I guess we can move on to the next question. Um, the next question is, what does Jacques Fresco think of the author Ayn Rand, her objectivism, selfishness, philosophy, her position on the Native Americans being that the white man had the right to conquer this continent? It's based upon a person's feelings about the world and about other people. There's no research done that verifies anything. The objectivist point of view has little or no physical reference. That's the best I can say for it. I need, in order to arrive at a sensible decision, I need some kind of verification. So basically you're just saying that all of her ideas are based on unprovable theories. I mean, uh, do you have any, like, do you have any, I mean, just the ideas of it as far as, like, her attitude and her philosophy, just the attitude of selfishism and, you know, consumerism. She was also, also a huge free market advocate, obviously. It conforms with the free enterprise system. Mm -hmm. 
Yes. It makes it makes people comfortable within the system, I think. Yeah, well, I did a show exposing that earlier. I was curious what, you know, just what you thought about it as well. Um, so in any case, um, the next question is, does Jacques feel that recently discovered mental disorders such as ADD, ADHD, Asperger's syndrome, OCD, ODD, autism, et cetera, are real, or, they, or have they been invented as products of the typical process of monetary systems turning towards fascism? I would say some are real and some are invented. When, whenever they talk about a person having uh, the inability to pay attention to information or attention deficit, it may be, if you read an article on the history of women's garters, it would put an engineer to sleep. So he would have attention deficit in that area. And any human being, a mathematician, would have attention deficit in a dissertation on fashion design. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes, I do. Everybody has attention deficit in, in different areas. Psychologists invent words rather than give you a description of precisely what it is. Any subject you're not interested in would be attention deficit. Yeah, that's actually, go ahead. Yeah, no, I understand completely. Um, I, you know, basically people were wondering whether or not it was an invented concept so that they can have excuses to drug us up because that's the first thing they try to do when they think that you have ADD or ADHD is they try to put like, you know, my mind altering drugs into you to calm you down and to normalize you. Yeah, professional laborers too. They, they are professional labels. They put a label on people. We want to know the conditions responsible for serial killer, self-centered personalities, egocentric people. We want to know the conditions that, are, that generate that and outgrow the need for it. Okay. I'm not labels. That's kind of what I was hoping myself. Um, all right. Now, uh, this next question is somewhat related to some things that we've already talked about, but like as far as the example that they gave, but... I think it's also relevant for other things that people might like to do for recreation, but how will resources be allocated to things that are not essential to the survival of humanity? For instance, if you need resources for an art project, what criteria will be used to accept or reject this? How well the system works. Now, an example, as children are raised in schools of the future, uh, they will be raised in schools because the instructors have more information on human behavior than parents. People tell their children to be honest. And then when children say, where do babies come from, the stork brings them. Well, how come they don't look like a stork? Parents are not honest when they say, Santa Claus brought you this for Christmas. If Daddy says, look, I love you, and I'd like you to have new books or dolls or toys, because I care for you. He doesn't need to go into Santa Claus with a big bag and the reindeers. That's a lie. It's a deliberate fabricated lie. When they say, what makes lovely weather? You can talk about clouds and the sun and evaporation. But if you use the word God makes everything, does he make earthquakes too? In other words, what does... You have to give children... You have to be ruthlessly honest with your kids. One little girl asks her daddy, her mommy, whether she loved children. She says, of course I love children. 
And the little girl pointed to her tummy and said, why did you eat her? I don't think Doc heard your question. Yeah, can you let him read it? It's number three. I can't see it. How will resources be allocated to things that are not essential to the survival of humanity, such as art materials? Art materials will be available. And sculpturing material or any creative field, you will go to the art center, and there you can access any kind of material you want to work with. There is no limitation on that. It, it is essential if that's what people need and that's what people want to do. Right. Do you want to further elaborate on the uh, basically non-essential projects like that might come up? I mean, people always do this too. They always want to know, like, well, what if I want to build a very own yacht, you know, or maybe I want to build my own cruise ship. I mean, how do we deal with it when somebody wants a lot of resources? I think that's kind of what they're worried about here is how do we you worry about you have access to anything you want. You don't need to win any lotteries. You don't need to win or bet on horses. There's no prize fights, no human beings sacrificing their lives to please other people. You know, in other words, boxing, you might accept boxing as a clean, as a good sport. I mentioned before that the ancient Romans used to feed Christians the lions, and the whole family would come to see that. And the kids would say, Daddy, can I come next week to see Christians fed the lions? And then Daddy would say, if you behave yourself. Well, are these kids what? No, they're perfectly well adjusted to the limitations of that society. We have a lot of things we call entertainment today, which is socially detrimental. Stunt flying upside down through a hangar, automobile races do not improve carburetors. It's just an ego trip. And children will be educated out of that in the future, so they have no need to do things like that. That's basically it, what I said. So people just won't move in cold to this system or the city because it, it is very different. It'll be run very differently. They'll have to have a different understanding of, of what will be there. So there'll be kind of an orientation as to how, what will be available, and that you don't need money. And, and how, if they hoard things, they'll have less for, for other people, that there's no need to really hoard things because it's available to everyone. You know, if it rained gold and people walked outside, they'd be putting it in their closet, they'd be filling their house with it. But after a couple of weeks or so, if it continued to rain gold, they'd be shoveling it out because it would be a burden. You won't want to hoard anything or keep anything for yourself if it's available out there and, and it'll be fixed. You don't have to have a, it won't be burdensome to have to fix it and maintain it and, and store it. So they'd understand quite quickly that they don't need to do that type of behavior. That's generally what I tell them is just that the value system is going to be such that the kinds of social stratification that would normally come along with such a big, ridiculous waste of resources would not really be there anymore. They're so like, okay, so you got your own yacht. If anything, that's going to make you look silly. Um, I mean, it's... I'm you sorry. don't have to outlaw anything. All that business of outlawing this and outlawing that is based on the scarcity economy. When things are available to people, they don't steal. When they learn to speak in relevant manners, the word lie disappears. When people have access to things, envy disappears. So a lot of emotions that we have are carryovers from ages of scarcity. Yep, I agree. Um, so 
that being said, we're actually doing really good on these questions. I'm going to move on to number four. Uh, can you address the concern I've heard about rigidity in the system? Some folks have jumped to the conclusion that the RBE would mean you get what's given and that's that. Whereas I see the future as one where if I want to make something new or improve on a product, I can, and all I have to do is access the central computer and design my prototype. The beauty of this being when I'm done, anyone can have it and fabricate it for themselves. Now, I believe this person is correct in their assessment, that, but basically the concern that many people have is they think that they're not going to have freedom of choice, that we'll produce these certain products and that they won't be allowed to develop their own, and that's obviously incorrect, isn't it? Yes, you're correct. It is very different, the new system. In other words, if you want to write science fiction, it's under the heading of science fiction. If you want to speculate, it's under the heading of speculation. But verifiable information is if you don't water plants, they don't grow. Plants of themselves cannot grow. They depend on light, gravity. They depend on many interacting systems. No single thing that we know of is self-activated. Okay. It's always acted upon by many other things. All right. Goes language, knowledge, everything. Did you have anything further to add on that, Roxanne? Well, I think this culture is tremendously rigid. You have to put out a certain behavior, which is called work, in order to get funding to do the things that you want. We're advocating a system where everything is available to you so you can you know you're not restricted so to me it's opening up all sorts of possibilities especially the educational system the, the, the city is a university city you'd always be learning and and goods and services are available to all i don't know how, how much more freedom you could have there's nobody looking over you or restricting what you can say because you might lose your job you know, this, this system has all sorts of unappointed guardians to conform, make people conform in every single way to the norm out there, which is tremendously restricting. I agree. Actually, I've thought about that, and it's, they, they tell you that, you know, supposedly consumerism is your freedom of choice, and that's just absurd. It's your freedom to hopefully be able to afford something. If you, the more of your soul you're willing to sell. Right. We always say you're as free as your purchasing power. Right. And they, they, they dangle it in front of your head, this notion, oh, yeah, anybody can be part of a Fortune 500 company and be a self-made millionaire, even though, uh, you know, as Patty Shannon from the uh, movie Capitalism and Other Kids Stuff, I had him on my show, and he pointed out, you can work hard your whole life and still be poor. That's how it was for my mom. She, at one point, worked three jobs to be able to keep us fed. Um, and taking care of. She you know, literally worked herself to, to the bone. I mean, she was emaciated by she, the time she was done with that, and she passed away from cancer last year. But, um, you know, and she worked hard forever. And it's just the other thing about it that's really funny that Patty Shannon pointed out was that the, it, it's odd that under the job, the, the less you get paid for it. But the easier job, you know, like the jobs where you sit on your butts, the more you get paid for it. And if you just happen to be lucky enough to have a piece of paper that says you own the means of production, well, then you're filthy rich, and you don't have to do anything. You know, that's, um, that's actually one of the reasons, like, um, in uh, Capitalism and Other Kids Stuff, one of Michael Moore's movies, he, uh, he showed an example of a, of a company that was owned equally by everybody in it. And this is one of the ways that they prevent corruption is that all of the uh, inner workings of the projects that they were working on were completely 
transparent and everybody was an equal shareholder, including the manager. And like, you know, they pointed out that, you know, if anybody tried to ask for a pay raise that was ridiculous, like the CEOs of some companies, everybody would look at them and go, what are you thinking? That's so, you know, that's so uh, selfish. Why would you do that? You know, I, I think that, that that's, it definitely changed the value system of everybody involved. And the manager of the company said that he loved working there, even though he was making, you know, less, like, you know, individually than he would if he was at some other company. But it didn't change the fact that he felt good that he was part of the project. And I'm hoping that we can incorporate some of those same attitudes in the projects as we build things in the Venus Project. Most of, most of the industrial production will be automated. And uh, every year, people will have more and more access to whatever type of equipment they would like. So the standard of living is a continuous rise because innovation and nanotechnology and other un develop systems that are in the books that can be worked on and to improve the lives of all human beings in all different areas from health, vacation, travel, safety, all of that will be upgraded because no longer do we ask how much will it cost. Do we have the resources really the question, not how much will it cost. I agree. Um, all right, so now we're going to move on to uh Number five, um, as far as the Venus Project feature film, any ideas on who might produce or direct the film? Is the screenplay currently in the works, or is the basic outline still being written? The basic outline is being improved continuously. We, uh, we haven't found a producer yet, but we hope to. As we go on the world tour, we'll speak to more and more people, and sooner or later, we hope to meet with someone that will want to produce that film. That film shows how we get from here to there, how we move from a monetary system to a resource-based economy, and what the advantages are in a resource-based economy, and we show the shortcomings of a monetary system. Uh, in other words, if you don't understand that, if you have a small community, say, with 5,000 people, if they all chipped in, say, 20 bucks a piece and had a community bank that was owned by everybody in the community. And so when you borrowed money, the interest would be very low, but all the profit would go to the community for new schools, museums, art centers, music centers, rather than private banks. You constantly got that drummed in your head that private ownership is a good thing, that the free enterprise system generates incentives. We also generate incentive for corruption, embezzlement, money laundering, or whole thousands of other bits, which are socially detrimental. There's nothing wrong with public ownership of the earth, because where did we get this country from? We took it by force and violence. Where did England get? They say the sun never sets on England. They took it from other nations. Where do you think the hatred is built up by the, by the Islamic people who would fly airplanes into a building. What made them hate us so much? That's what's never delivered on the air. We never get other points of view. If you've got a deeper understanding of the motivating factors of people, you'll know what makes a serial killer, you'll know what makes a thrill killer, you'll know what makes all those things, and you can avoid that in the educational system when children are very young. Yeah, we're definitely... All, all behavior is perfectly well-adjusted 
where you're coming from. If you don't understand this again, if you brought it in the South, you speak with a Southern accent. If you brought it in France, you speak with a French accent. If you brought it in Germany, you speak like a German. If you took a Jewish baby and raised it in Germany by a German family, could have been a Nazi. So what is the human being? The human being is composite of everything they've read, the movies they see, their role models, and the country they're brought up in. So no human is actually free. They are all victims of culture. And we intend to design a culture that moves out all the hogwash and gives them a real relationship to the physical world as we know it. How we relate to nature, if we destroy the oceans, how it hurts the fish, changes the oceans so that we can no longer utilize that water. And when we come into a shortage of anything, we might be able to devise thousands of new products that are edible, that can be grown in salt water. There's a lot of research to be done. There's really no shortage of anything except making people more creative in all areas, including the arts. I definitely agree with that, and it's good to see that you guys are still working on the, uh, the script for that. Um, once you guys finally get that movie out, I know um, Federico and I, if it comes down to it, would love to make a comic book adaption of your movie um, when the time comes. Uh, in the meantime, we are also still working on a comic book project just to present the Venus Project's ideas in a manner similar to the book Addicted to War that I left for you guys. I can't wait to actually get with him on that project. He's been very busy. Uh, but anyway, um, now this is another good question. Uh, in what way can communication be improved to solve hunger problems, both as in temporary intervention and as long-term solution? How can we guarantee as many people as possible access to food? Well, the way you improve communication is by people that need, have a need for improving communication. When people walk over you and say, have a nice weekend, why don't they say, have a nice life? Why just a weekend? Because we're brought up in a certain system, and the system itself cannot communicate. The dictionary definitions are not always referential. They don't have a reference for the word all the time. So that's why I say constantly, that people, most people, cannot talk to one another. They talk at each other. How are you? How's the family? All that's automatic. Oh, happy birthday. These are automatic statements. When people talk to each other, which engineers do when they talk about structure, aviation, airplane designers, when they talk to each other, it's not subject to interpretation. So we have to evolve a language that's not subject to interpretation. So people don't listen to what you say and then project their own meaning in what they think you said. This is a major problem today. That's why we have difficulty talking to one another. The question is, how can communication improve or solve hunger? In the early schooling of children, they will be given a physical reference for everything they talk about. So they're talking about things. Uh, trees, plants, soil conditions, atmosphere, gravity. They will always use words that have a reference, not as our language today is so loose and so primitive. People get mad at each other, not by what they say, but what they think the other person meant. Now, speaking of what, you know, what people mean, um, and now in reference to the distribution of food, I think what he's talking about, I mean, at least, if I was going to answer it, I would talk about the fact that we want to have cybernated systems. I mean, 
anytime there was a, a plague or something or a drought or things that were destroying the food, we would know instantly via your computer system, you know, around the world. I mean, people already know when people are starving, when it bothers to get reported, but in your system, uh, anytime there was any kind of food shortage, you know, we'd know automatically via computer. Is that correct? Not only that, but they won't have to go through Congress. There'd be no bureaucracies. They would have an emergency department that can access food immediately and deliver it to an earthquake zone or help medical help or anything by means of trailers, ships, aircraft immediately without going through all the paperwork. In fact, it would be almost a paperless society. Absolutely. And I, I especially like that last part. And, you know, I, I think that um, actually it's an interesting point from the chat room that just came up is that uh, Douglas Mallet, the uh, engineer who works with NASA on the space shuttle, is actually in the chat room. And he, uh, he said that he might have somebody who's worked on several of the Star Trek films and might be interested in helping you guys. I'll be sure that you guys get that information. Um, now, that being said, uh, in reference to what we were just talking about, um, I know that when I talk to people about the Venus Project and they don't understand what we're going to do by removing politicians, I usually use the example of, well, how many things that politicians do do we really need a bureaucracy for in the first place? If there's a sewer pipe broken somewhere, you've got to go to your city council meeting and hope that your city council members are not being paid off by somebody else to you know, make money on the broken sewer system and all that other crap, and then hope that if you do decide to pay somebody to fix it, that he doesn't hire his friend with a no-bid contract to make extra money, when you could just have a robotic system that detects where the sewer pipe problem is, deals with the sewer pipe problem, and we never, need to be, we never even need to be bothered about it. I think a lot of people don't realize that a lot of the stuff that the average politicians do every day is actually really boring work. It has nothing to do with your day-to-day -day lives. If people are still worried about it, go ahead. You're right. Politicians can't do anything. They don't know anything. They're usually lawyers and businessmen. They don't know how to move traffic. They don't know how to design bridges. They don't know how to increase production. Uh, they don't know how to increase transportation, make it safe. They really don't know a damn thing. Yes, it was been designed hundreds of years ago. And even worse, I mean, when there's a problem with a politician or he's been corrupted, it's really hard to figure that out, you know, whereas if there's a computer system problem, you can just go fix it, you know, and you can make uh, the systems involved with the computer so transparent that if anybody were to tinker with it, then everybody would know about it. You can't do yeah, that with a politician. They couldn't. they couldn't do that if it was intelligently designed. If people were brought up in the new system, they just don't act corruptly in any way. There's no basis for it, no reason for it. You can't sell drugs, you can't make money. You can't sell your body, there's no prostitution. You can't sell your voice. So you see, the system itself doesn't buy the same products that the monetary system buys. It buys people in control. Right, the, cor the, the politicians are really there to serve the interests of the corporations, the large corporations, make the laws to favor their needs. I honestly think that the, the death knell of any politician ever being honest other than the very few who managed to squeeze through um, went away when the, when the Supreme Court recently ruled against a law that would have made it impossible for corporations to donate to political campaigns. And the notion the that word, we, it, The it, word honesty is another phony word. It's like the word love. The word honesty doesn't mean anything. 
Honesty is when a scientist describes an event. He describes it as it occurs, not as he thinks it occurs. A science fiction writer would be inventing situations. A poet would be stringing words together that sound nice, as fiction time saves nine. Those, those words are what we call in calendar philosophy. This whole system is immersed in artificiality. When you're very young, when they tell you that the stork brings the baby, if a child lives out in the country and he sees a cow give birth, he, he, he still says, gee, that's what my daddy told me. And when you tell him that Santa Claus brings him everything, you're lying to that kid. In other words, you start out with misinformation, lies, and then you give him religious training, which is loaded with myth and projections and man-made concepts. It has nothing to do with the formation of the earth, life, plant life, arrogance. It doesn't teach us what makes war. And so there will always be wars and rumors of war. We shall always have a poor amongst us. I can't accept that. As a scientist, I know we can solve 90% of the problems. But I know that with further work, work we can invent new methods of dealing with shortages. Okay, now we move on to uh, number seven. Some people read books much faster than other people. Is it cognitive brain difference or just motivation? If it's cognitive, how do we help those people who are always behind with reading? Well, first of all, you don't teach people to read. That's the wrong thing you do. You read to them when they're very young, and you stop reading to them when it's most interesting. And they say, gee, what happened then? Well, I'll read tomorrow. But if you learn to read, you can go on and get all the information you want, whenever you want it. First, you have to give them a need for wanting to read. Don't teach them to read. Don't teach them mathematics. Give them a reason for wanting to learn mathematics. If you design a bicycle with members too thin, it'll collapse. So the kids says, how thick should it be? All children want to learn reality. But we give them Jack and the Beanstalk Cinderella, the Mickey Mouse Club, all that socially offensive, which would be considered, in the future, we'd be considered criminals by what we do to children. The lies that we tell them, the artificialities that we tell them. You have to be realistic as children are growing up. There is no other way to be transparent except to be honest. And the most honest people I know are scientists. Because when you ask them a new question, they say, I don't know, I have to look into it. That's a wonderful thing to learn, those three words, I don't know. But everybody's got opinions about everything. This society is abound in history as one of the most aberrated societies in history. I know people who can read very quickly and very well and read a lot, but really have no platform as to how to look at the world and how to distinguish what's significant and what's not. So it's not so much a necessity of learning how to read quickly or fast, and that can be taught more so, but have a better platform of, of how to look at things and, and be able to be more innovative and creative. We think everybody can be creative. Every human being has the ability to be creative. Only we don't teach that in school. We don't know how. We think it's an inborn trait. It is not. It's learned. So is language. So is arithmetic. Two and two is four. Over and over again. Where do you think the kids get it from? 
No kid was ever born writing arithmetic or geometry without being exposed. The same for language. The language you speak, your parents point to something and say, cup, light, table, chair, over and over again. You're never born able to speak English, French, German, or any other language without being submerged in a linguistic environment. Yeah, I definitely agree. My own experiences with learning to read were actually that I was naturally talented with reading, but my mathematics were terrible. Um, but the rest of my family, uh, like my brothers and sisters, were all dyslexic, and they couldn't read, but they were good at math. Um, I know Einstein was also dyslexic, as was Edison, and then they had these like huge aptitudes in other areas. Um, I mean, I, I wonder, is that, could that have been something that they were exposed to, or is it some kind of genetics? Well, we have to do a lot of work uh, to find out exactly. But a lot of scientists that are, that are in research, particularly behavioral scientists like psychiatrists and psychologists, really don't have the ability to state the problem. They don't know what it is, so they hang a label on it. They give people labels. We need descriptions of the conditions that produce jealousy, envy, hatred. They think that's human nature. The average person, instead of saying, I don't know why most people are jealous, or they've been jealous all through history, I don't know what causes that, but I'm certainly interested in trying to find out, and that's what science is. Not stopping and inventing your own answers, but trying to find out what makes hurricanes, what makes tsunamis. instead of saying, gee, I hope it doesn't happen. That's irrelevant. What does count is what you do to alleviate suffering and pain in human beings. That is warmth. That is spirituality. Not going to church every Sunday, praying and bothering God continuously for your own selfish needs. I think even Jesus said, by their work you shall know them. So get up off your butt and try to make the world a better place. There is nobody doing that. Somebody said, why is it Fresco alone? Because if somebody else came along and said, John, let me give you some more pointers out in the city. I'd welcome that person to come along. I haven't had that happen. Most people are satisfied with what they've got, their PhDs or their certificate of merit. All of that is BS unless it's translated into the improvement of the world we live in. Any scientist that makes military weapons of that culture, a scientist would wonder why are nations at war? Why do they hate each other? What are the conditions that produce those hatreds? And a scientist would not be, never be in a single discipline like structural engineering or chemistry. They'd be, they'd be multidisciplinarians. People think I'm interested in scientists. Scientists are just as dumb as anyone else or poorly informed, except in the area that they specialize in. In the future, there'll be no specialists. There'll be generalists that know anthropology, sociology, human behavior, food production. They'll know many things, and they'll also know how to say, I don't have information in that area. I'd like to look into it, not offer an opinion about anything that you don't know. Uh, yeah, I can tell you I'm looking forward to seeing science really applied to getting into the, the, the science of learning disabilities, because it is interesting that in many cases these people don't have aptitudes in some areas, but are geniuses in others. Certain autistic children are the same way, and they don't really do anything about it. They just kind of give us a buy. They just don't do anything to us in school. They just well, avoid cool. that. They get in trouble sometimes. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, give them pills. Well, that wouldn't have helped me. But, yeah, I, I know where you're coming from. Um, and they, they do that, too. And it doesn't really solve anything. I mean, I imagine they like giving out the pills because the drug you know, companies love making money on them, but it doesn't cure anybody. So They really don't know what to do is really the truth. They don't even know what the question is. You'll find out when you have a question period that very few people can ask an original question. I haven't heard a new question in 10 years. Always the same thing. What about human nature? The stuff they've been given by their society. They say, what is it that enables a child to play the piano without any instruction? That's the question. The answer, I don't know. The next thing is let us try to find out. Not project your own little value system into it, saying the reason he's that way because he's an Arab, or the reason he's a drunkard because he's Irish. Or the reason he's a gangster because he's an Italian. All the stupidity which dominates our culture and our politics. Now, um, this next question is actually from a good friend of mine um, who has been a follower of V Radio long since before I even knew about the Venus Project. Her name is Haifa. Uh, she and I worked together on the Mike Gravel campaign. Uh, but her question, by the way, I totally got her into the Venus Project and she loves what you guys are doing. Um, is there a way to make buildings float? I tried thinking of using an electromagnetic levitation to counter the force of gravity, but it would require too much energy. So is there another way to make buildings float during an earthquake in order to avoid any damage? First of all, you don't build in an earthquake zone. And you don't build hotels on the seashore where the tsunamis occur. You build it back in the land, and you design the building for the range of earthquakes, in other words, if it's seven or eight on the Richter scale, you try not to build in that area. But if you do, the building should be cable stayed, which can swing and sway. If your building is rigid, that is made of stone or uh, marble and things like that, you wouldn't have trouble. So you have to design your building made of panels that interlock, that can take eight on the Richter scale or nine on the Richter scale. Otherwise, we have no business designing a city in any area. First, you have to survey the area, how far it is from food supplies, how far it is from material resources, and how much energy does it take to move the equipment over there to build a city. So you just don't build a city. Today, people build cities right over topsoil. It takes a thousand years for nature to make one inch of topsoil. So what we'll do in the future is shave off the topsoil, put it in soil banks, and then build a city. They don't do that today. You look at your banks today. Go into any bank, you'll find the bill to be sometimes four feet thick of concrete and steel. What's in that bank? Not the history of medicine, music, art, engineering, all the other certificates of debt. What a shameful thing. What a stupid and shameful society. In the best births in the world, you don't have the history of medicine, the history of science, the history of innovation. You don't have anything of use, just a bunch of crap. So if you have a nuclear war, the only thing left will be the banks, the bank vaults, and all those certificates of debt. It's interesting how, they mo you know, how they're motivated by that, too. And the funny thing is that for a nuclear holocaust, I'm not going to be too interested in certificates of debt, but... What you're talking about is absolutely true. Like uh, in the war in Iraq, 
Um, they, there's a very good film on this called No End in Sight that talks about how poorly it was managed. And the United States government, when they occupied Iraq, were fully aware of the looting that was going on over there, and they destroyed the Iraqi uh, museums and all the history were just allowed to go. But they guarded the oil. <laughs> they well, had soldiers in the oil. You can look at the stock market as one big gang. You see, what we've come to accept as right and normal would be considered criminal in the future. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? The people that run the Supreme Court today would be considered criminals in the future because they don't know the history of civilization. They don't know what makes a person decide one thing or another, so they put them in jail. All judges would be considered criminals. All lawyers. Lawyers are all right as long as they got their hands in their own pockets. <laughs> it's too bad that never seems to happen, huh? Um, well, um, now this next question uh, is, what is your view on emotions and semantic reactions? And will new semantic reactions emerge in a resource-based economy? The resource-based economy works on children and communication very early years of their lives. So when they talk to one another, they don't talk at each other. There's no basis for argument anymore. There's no basis for conflict resolution. Now, it's only when language is insufficient that you need that. And prisons, when they don't know what to do with people that behave in unique or different ways or aberrant ways, they put them in prison. They don't know what a criminal is. They think it's some people are good and some are bad. You get that in the Bible. There's no such thing. People reflect our culture. If you're brought up by the Manson family, you pick up from that environment the same values that the leader has. If you're brought up in Nazi Germany, it's a criminal society. So is our own society, a criminal society. All societies, the, the criminal justice system is a criminal justice system. It's not based upon reference. It's based upon immediate solutions where you put a man in jail when he doesn't behave instead of study the condition, get rid of it. You have to do the same thing with disease. You don't put a person in prison when they get a disease. You're trying to control it, find the conditions that produce it, and move people away from those conditions as best you can. Yep, I agree. Um, did you have something to add, Roxanne? No, I was just saying it's a good analogy. I haven't heard that one before. <laughs> when, when you consider systems, you have to think in terms of what is it that society needs, not, not what is it that I need. What is it that society needs to bring every human being up to their highest potential? That's what has to be done. That's why it's difficult for you to talk to people, because the language you use is old and has a different meaning to different people. When they're educated in such books as The Tyranny of Words by Stuart Chase, when they get books on language and thought and action by Hayakawa, or Science and Sanity by Alfred Korteski, this gives you tools to think with. We are never given those tools, those tools in school. Schools try to make you conform to established institutions. There's more propaganda in school than information. The universities today are better equipped than ever, and the walls are getting worse. The explosives are getting waste, wasted. 
all the ships that sunk on the bottom of the sea of World War II, all the destruction of war shows you today that we are not civilized yet. You know, when you commented on um, the universities being well-equipped, I actually watched another really good documentary called Higher Learning, um, or not Higher Learning, um, but basically I can, I can give it to the listeners later, but it basically it discussed how professors are not even paid for being good teachers. They're paid for giving research papers, and in fact, professors are told if you, if you fail too many people, we'll fire you. It's not even required that you're competent to get out of there. They just want their tuition, and they don't get tuition if they fail people. Well, the system is so loud up, it doesn't even pay to begin to examine it or try to patch it up. The whole basis of our social operation is based upon a monetary system. And our values are based upon early teachings, thousands of years old, the Holy Bible, which is neither holy nor referential and has no information but myths. And most of it is made up by people who don't know how the earth came into being. They don't know what life is, nor do they read about it. They read the Bible, which is loaded with myths and commandments that have no physical basis. Yep, I agree. Um, now, could Jacques elaborate on how furniture could be utilized in houses? Is it possible to have all furniture to be built in? Or would there be some separate kitchenware gadgets and furniture that you could get from the distribution center? Well, most houses in the future will not have kitchens. There'll be dining areas and beautiful parks and beautiful locations. It's a pretty stupid thing to put an oven in every home and have everybody, millions of people every morning, making bacon and eggs. It's much easier to cook on a vast scale and have all kinds of food available to people. Just like everybody goes shopping. Everybody has a refrigerator. In the future, there will be dining areas on the lakes, beautifully located, with all kinds of food, but most of it will be nutritious food. You couldn't buy junk food. It wouldn't be available. There'd be no cigarettes. It will not be outlawed. People will be educated, shown films of people dying from those cancer sticks, show them their difficulties in breathing, and how fresh lung tissue stretches, damaged lung tissue tears. We'll show films to discourage people from smoking. That's the best you can do. I agree entirely. Um, you know, and I, I think I know what you're talking about. Some people are asking about that, like having a community buffet. And I've looked at some of the designs for the way your communities are designed, and it just what I try to tell people is that they need to think about it as if you if you lived every day in a hotel where your food was already paid for, <laughs> everything was comfortable, and you lived in a large community if you wanted to, you know, and everything was available to you. You know, you could go to a dining hall. If you really want to, if it's so important for you to eat, you know, in privacy in your own home, you can always just get the food and bring it back. But a that, kitchen in every home is business. Do you understand that? You're selling mm -hmm. refrigerators, dining areas in every home. It's a waste of energy. But actually, the dining areas of the future will be beautiful and no waiters or waitresses. When you sit at the table, the menu will light up. Then it will scan you. If you're diabetic, it will adjust the food to your condition. You'll have real smart furniture. When you sit on a chair, it'll move to your contours. As you lean back and put your feet up, it'll come up to meet you. And when you walk out of the building, the lights will go out, conserving energy automatically. You don't need to turn the lights on or off. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes, definitely. Society is so awful, I can't begin to describe the limitations. If I have a week, I can spend it on just the limitations of the free enterprise system. It's one of the most terrible systems ever invented. Yep, I agree. You know, and and talking about furniture and stuff, I remember like even just the way the domes were designed at the Venus Project, I was like in love with them immediately. I, I'm I still have fantasies about that guest house you guys have. That was like just amazing. You know, just the idea of living in such a place, and you know the way that they, you guys had that round chair in your main house. You know, like that everybody sits on that you see in several of the videos. I love that place. Um, I still think about it every now and then when I look at my pictures and, you know, wish that you guys lived closer. Um, but uh, anyway, I'll, I'll get on here to the next question. Um, now, just out of curiosity, Mr. Fresco, other than Einstein and Bucky Fuller, did you meet with any other noted personalities like Carl Sagan yes, or B.F. Skinner? I met, uh, I never, I talked to him on the phone a lot, but I did meet Robert Weaver. He was a man that wrote the book Cyber Nation. Right. He's a scientist. I met with him, Einstein. I never met uh, Carl Sagan. He tried uh, to get in I, touch with him. Yeah, I and Jack said he spoke to him on the phone. He was talking about B.F. Skinner. Right. Okay. Um, and what happened with you and Carl Sagan? I'm just curious. Well, on the phone only because... No, not Carl Sagan on the phone. No, that was B.F. Uh, Skinner. B.F. Skinner. Right. Yeah, we okay. tried to make contact with Sagan, sending him some things, but I think by that time he was very ill also. Oh, yeah. That's really, you know, I went back and watched Cosmos a little while ago, and I realized that must have had a lot of impact on who I am today because I was watching shows like Nova and Cosmos when most of my friends were still watching Saturday Night Cartoons, and... That's one of the reasons that it exposed me that why I needed to be very careful about what I allow my children to watch because I developed mm -hmm. way faster. And, like, when you talk about, you know, reading have some motivations, I remember my mom still remembers to this day that when I came home from school, from the very first day of school, I was angry because they hadn't taught me to read yet. <laughs> <laughs> and that's an example of how different things can be for your children. I mean, I wasn't angry because somebody took my toys. I wasn't angry because I didn't have a toy that I wanted or whatever. I was angry because I didn't learn how to read. Um, yeah, and that, children, you are curious about everything. They look up the clouds and say, Daddy, what makes the clouds? What makes trees grow? They ask great questions. Then we fill their head with nonsense. Jack and the Beatles and the Mickey Mouse Club. We don't give them. Children can learn anything. They can learn to read when they're two years old. And when they can talk, they can learn to read. And you can teach them to talk earlier by particular methods. But you can't overdo it. Children are curious about everything. Don't kill that curiosity. I agree. Um, definitely. Because, I mean, that's, I, I was talking, when I talked with Mr. Mallet, the engineer, I talked about the reasons why I didn't end up in the working in the space program. And, it's because of the, the monetary system really did a lot of things to really kind of beat any interest out of me. I was so concerned about some of the things going on in my life, the notion of getting education and a lot of things didn't happen. I mean, I was really interested in robotics. I really wanted to make robots when I was a kid. Um, my math problems actually had a lot to do with that. And I, I kind of kick myself now because I had a friend who is a robotics engineer, and he told me, he's like, you know, you think I do my math? You know? He's like, I have a calculator for that. He's like, you, you should have gotten into you know, robotics anyway. But now I'm like, 
you know, 34. I'm going to go ahead and look into it, but it's just going to be a hobby. But you're so right about how the system just beats the, the, the interest out of you because, you know, they, they kind of cram learning into you and you're supposed to learn what they want you to learn. And then it just makes it not interesting anymore. Then you're not, you're, you're so abused, you know, at that point mentally that you don't want to learn anymore. Learning becomes something you don't like, you know, educational films become boring. Neil, if we don't kill each other in the next 20 years, you will see machines that you talk to and you say, I want a building 20 stories high. Uh, what should I make it of? It'll tell you what to make it of. It'll tell you what the loading is. It'll tell you what the diameter of the beams are. It'll tell you what type of steel to use. You won't have to sit back and look it all up in books and information. Your architectural machine will be connected to the major international sources of information. Do you understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And you have to state the problem. And the machine will tell you the best way to do it today. And if something new comes up, a new material, it'll go into the file system automatically. Now, absolutely. This next question, um, because we're actually making great time here, I think we might even be able to get through all of them, uh, is number 12. Uh, now, this kind of gets us into the whole genetic engineering thing, but this, this one example of it, I think it's a good idea. Now, some chronic painful diseases are hereditary. For example, skin conditions. Should they be genetically prevented? Uh, all I can say is with all research amounts that we give them whatever equipment they need, no more digging up nickels and dimes for heart disease. Every lab will be fully equipped, just like the Pentagon. When it comes to war, the guys get the best airplanes, the best laser equipment, the best Doppler radar. They get the best of everything. And even if the airplane costs a half a million dollars or a million dollars, they get it. So why don't we treat our people in peace that way? Send them to the best schools, the best equipment, the best medical schools. There'd be no second-rate automobiles or old cars on the road. There will be cars equipped with sensors so they can't hit one another. Well, it's a you, totally different system. Do you, right. But do you think that we should prevent genetic diseases with, with you know, some form of genetic engineering? All of that will be taken care of after the building of the first city and research center will be doing medical research right away in all areas, psychosomatic effects, the effects of a sense of well-being on digestion. Look, if you eat the best food in the world and something awful happens, you throw up. So if it's the best food, your state of mind is also important too. So we have to keep kids interested in things make their lives exciting, colorful, interesting, so they don't have to become destructive in any way. They will all be brought up with the best equipment we have and the best educators. When I say best, I mean performance only, not a written test. Right. Performance only. Now, um, this next question, uh, number 13, do you think humans will merge with machines, or rather machines will be used as extensions, easy to attach and detach, such as glasses and hearing aids, or should we make machines a permanent part of our bodies like cyborgs? I don't think so. I think that machines will evolve at a much faster rate than any organic system. 
once we get down to sub-microscopic levels of storing information. To put it in a human being, you've got a lot of slow actions in the human. The human might be able to handle seven different subjects at the same time, whereas computer science today can handle 1,000 trillion bits of information per second. No human can be equipped to do that. So technology will evolve in its own way, different than that of human beings. Okay. That's actually a good answer. Um, yeah, I would, I would agree with you there. Did you have something, Roxanne? I would not want to combine the two. Neil, I would not want to combine the two. Except when a person lost control of the arm, we can put some super small electronic device in the brain so they can use that arm. They can use a synthetic arm. But we will cultivate living tissue in the future. Instead of having donors that donate a liver or a heart, we will be able to create living organisms which will be available to people until we can design a system in the human body to adjust for a wide range of difficulties. I have heard you talk about um, perhaps if somebody lost their eye and they have the ability technically to put an eye in, that it, it would be an eye that could be macro and micro. Yes. You get it. Yeah, but that alone would not be enough. It's much easier to make machines that can give us a picture of what they see because machines can handle much more information per second than any group of humans. There's yeah, no comparison. The pe people ask me, can a machine be better or faster than the designer? I know a guy that designed an airplane to fly 400 miles an hour. He can't keep up with it. I know a short guy that designed a machine to, to pick up freight trains and empty them. He can't do that. Machines are always faster and better than the designer. Right. It's well, I mean... And to further elaborate on what you're talking about, the funny thing is, is it's not even uh, it's not even far fetched that we can just cultivate, you know, uh, like organic material. Like, I mean, because we can already clone, and they're talking about the possibility of cloning organs for donate, you know, for people whose organs are failing, you know. And in the instance of the eye, you know, I know that it's possible to reattach somebody's eye if it comes out. So I don't see any reason why you wouldn't be able to make a new one. We'll um, do surgery in the future, and they will manage. Uh, intelligently manage all the Earth's resources. It is not one machine, it's several machines on separate circuits. So if one fails, the other takes over. You don't rely on any one machine. Agreed. Okay. So we've done this, see. Um, now, this next question is actually about the Venus Project itself. Uh, they, first of all, they're asking, how is power supplied uh, where you guys live, is it via diesel generators? No, we only have that for emergency in case a hurricane knocks the power out. We're on the power grid. The question came up whether we ought to spend $30,000 on photovoltaic cells or making films to educate people. So we do that instead. We did not build here what we wanted. We build what we can afford. We never had the finances to build what we wanted. Do you understand that? We were on the grid with an electric company, but we decided to make books and videos and spread the information of, of a resource-based economy in the Venus Project. We thought that was a priority rather than just, you know, live off the grid. 
and live better that way perhaps. Now, I guess this is kind of a multi-part question and the, the next part of it, um, would, you know, would you welcome uh, equipment such as say solar panels or windmill, windmills that would be donated to reduce your energy costs? Like if, you know, somebody got a project together to get you off the grid, would you accept it? Sure, There's, there is not that much wind here, but solar would be tremendous. Okay. All right, well, that's, I mean, that's one of the reasons I think why they were asking, because they also asked what your average electric costs were. I mean, I know there are companies out there that will do it for you, but they need to know what your average power output is, and then they can make a, um, they can make a, an, an informed decision on, like, you know, an estimate of how much it would cost. But if you're willing to let people put together a project to get you guys off the grid, I, I think that would be great. Um, so th that being said, I mean, I can help you make sure you get in touch with those people later. But now... There's another question here. Why don't why does why did Jacques uh, Jacques Fresco and Roxanne Meadows not join us on the Zeitgeist forums or the IRC text chat? Because we were continuously answering email, writing letters to different countries, shooting movies, writing books. We don't sit around doing nothing. Time. So if we have to sit for hours in front of a session, it would be tracked from answering letters all over the world. Do you understand that? Yes, definitely. No, I, I knew the answer, but I wanted to <laughs> I wanted to let you ask. But to, to confirm what Jacques is talking about, when I was there at the Venus Project, I didn't just go there for the tour. I was there for a couple of days. And the reality is, folks, that they sit around all day working on the Venus Project. That's all they do. While you're screwing around on television or playing video games, they're working on the Venus Project pretty much all day. You know, that's all they do. So they don't have time to sit around on the forum. The people have found a way to seven days a week, all day until we drop in the evening and, and get up in the morning and continue working. That's why you're pretty much stuck with me and people like me if you want to get forum stuff going on. So <laughs> that's why yeah. I sit around there. But yeah, um, we do join them occasionally. You know, we don't even know that they're going on most of the time. But Gilbert in, invited us to one, and and you were on. Right. Now that TeamSpeak meeting was actually really great. I really liked that. Uh, it was like having a Jacques Fresco lecture with like people from all over the world sitting in the same room. So I look forward to the team, you know, more meetings on TeamSpeak. Um, we so, glad to do that occasionally. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now the next question is: I think it was Future by Design. I heard that you left school at some point and never went back. How did you get along without uh, like you know credentials? Didn't your employers require a degree at a university or some credentials? Um, what, what happened is I was about 14 years old, and, and it was during the Depression. And I went to socialist meetings, communist meetings, fascist meetings, mankind united, metaphysics. I spent all my time then looking into things to see if there was any system, including technocracy, any system that offers a better way out. But most of the systems, like communism, uh, they use money, and they use banks, and they use social stratification, and they have armies and navies and prisons. We don't have any of those things. So we have nothing in common with any existing system. We don't want to kill anybody or hurt anybody. You're asking about credentials. How did you get on with work? Well, when I got to California, I went to an aircraft company, and I said I would like a job here. I think I can make a lot of safety devices for airplanes. And the guy said, what are your credentials? I said, I don't have any. 
what school did you go to? I says, I'm a dropout. She said, I'm sorry, we can't hire you. So I showed him some of my drawings, and he said, you're hired. I said, what do you want me to do? Just think up new ideas. After I was there three weeks, he said, you made more contribution to the Northrop Division of Douglas than the, in three weeks than the history of aviation. That's what he said. Uh, that went on for some time until a plane that I was familiar with had a tendency to flat spin. And I predicted that, and the chief aerodynamicist told me not to talk about it anymore. Then it went into a flat spin and crashed. The guy that hired me and myself was asked to resign. I'm just telling you what happened. Yeah, no, that's fine. But the fact is, is you were able to prove to them that you had talent regardless of credentials. And that's act that actually happened. Um, well, when you think about it, Louis Pasteur was a chemist. The Wright brothers were bicycle mechanics. The experts used to write books on why man can fly. If they were scientists, they'd write this way. I can't see how a flying machine can be built. My experience is insufficient in that area. Therefore, I can't tell you whether man will ever fly. I don't know. But when you write a book on why man will never get to the moon, you're talking through your hat. Just say, I don't know. That's the most difficult thing for people to learn to say. I don't know. A good deal of the time, Jock had his own lab and worked on his own things, and people would come to him and ask how to design different things and how to solve different problems in many different fields. From right. medical instruments to automobiles. And then they'd run off and patent it. Oh. <laughs> Yeah. Jack designed the first jet ski long time before they became popular, too. Wow, I didn't know that. That's actually really interesting. Um, now, this, these next series of questions was actually originally all in one paragraph, but I broke them up so that they would be easier to answer them. And these are great questions about education. Uh, we're now on number 17. Um, would education for children be done in institutions like schools or in the home? Um, hands-on learning only, physical relationships, books and hands-on. Without hands-on learning, taking into the country, looking at trees, watching plants grow, taking on a tour through all the agricultural fields, the production plants, so children have a physical reference for how their society operates. Right. Now, in the future, will children be mostly interacting with a database while also taking part in practical experiments? Both, always, both. Good. Um, now, number 19, would children's education be partly supervised and guided by the parents of the child? If not, would there no. be any human supervision? No, the parents, uh, when the parents start with, don't play with that little boy, he's a Catholic and you're a Lutheran. Once you've got parents advising that really don't have information in that area, we will discourage, just like the parents, that they send you to a school, a better school with better teachers, because they know they can't handle the job. And the more sophisticated society becomes, the more dependency upon solid reference rather than parenting. The parents of the past will not be able to help their children much and the parents of the future will know what's missing. Just like they send them to universities 
that better school today because they know they can't handle it. And, and when there would be teachers for young kids, they'd be rotating because it's a lot, eight hours or seven hours of teaching young kids. They'd be there for about three hours, and then somebody fresh and new would come on for another three hours. Right. Okay. Um, now we move on to, uh, I mean, well, actually, I wanted to comment on that previous question. Now, once the parent's value structure has changed, it's not going to be as big of a deal. I mean, obviously, you know, that they're involved. I mean, is that correct? I mean, because, like, you know, parents of the future are probably not going to be saying things like, don't play with certain kids, at least you would hope. Well, you've got to remember that the parents of today are all damaged by the society they live in. They're right. religion, they're business associations, they're all damaged. So the, society, the parents of the future will talk in terms of physical reference only. They will not give their opinion about anything unless they worked in the field and showed you not the answers to problem, but what they think may be responsible for some occurrence. In other words, no one, everyone is brought up to accept change and both emotionally and intellectually. They are brought up to look forward to the future, not to the past. The past has information, but not as relevant as recent information. So I would say that there are a lot of people who think that if you study the past, you'll have better answers for the future. It depends on what past you study. For example, anthropologists today go out on different islands and different primitive tribes and make notes of their value system. That would be considered cool in the future. In the future, you take them out of that system and give them a more appropriate system. You don't make notes of how stupid people behave. You get rid of the stupidity. Primitive people have primitive notions, such as the witch doctor might throw people into the volcano as a human sacrifice to stop the volcanic action. Well, I'm sure he's sincere, but he's but he's very incorrect when it comes to stopping the volcano's action. A lot of people, when they don't like what's going on in the world, they pray. Or a scientist tries to solve the problem of water shortages or non-arable land. He tries to grow things hydroponically. Remember again, Jesus said, by their work you shall know them. It's not what people pray for. It's what they do that counts. I agree. Now, um, actually, once again, we're making good time. I'm going to try to sum this this question up because he, he kind of goes into some stuff here. But they're basically concerned about human interactions. Now, he's heard that children would take part in group tasks to encourage interaction and cooperation. Um, now, that will be part of education. I mean, so children, would they still be educated, you know, as a group to help deal with also their abilities to uh, basically their their ability to communicate with each other, interact with each other, would that still be part of education? Not exactly that way, but nothing will happen unless they interact with one another. So if one child turns on a unit, another child works the lower portion of that unit, they find that it doesn't work unless they cooperate. So the environment is arranged. So this cooperation enables them to enjoy a system more so rather than competitive behavior. Everyone shares ideas with knowledge. If a child is faster at something than another child, he shows him how he does it because he has a better language, a more referential language 
so the other child can understand what he's doing. And if he can't, he improves the language and bends his own words. That's what Bucky Fuller did. When he didn't have a word for anything, he invented a word. Well, who the hell was out there that says, this is the word you use? Decency and ethics. Those words have no meaning at all. Even if you had the most ethical people in government, if you ran out of resources, to be lying, cheating, stealing. It isn't ethics that we need. It's understanding how the earth operates and the factors that shape human values and behavior. All right. Now, um, this is actually a question from Chidi. Uh, you might remember he came with me when we visited. Um, I'm going to do my best to see if I can pronounce this correctly. He wanted to know, are you familiar with Robert Sapolsky's work on human behavior? No, you have to tell me what he did. I might be familiar with what he did. I'm not familiar with the name offhand. That's the person who PJ's been interviewing for um, the monkeys and the, uh, I think it's the baboons or something. Well, I don't know. Does he advocate a, a resource-based economy? Well, it, it, I'm not sure. Uh, I, I don't understand why you'd want to work on one person's problem at a time. I can't see that at all. Where schools can handle hundreds of children and give them better equipment. The whole idea of psychiatry and psychologists talking to a person that's been warped by society is the wrong way to go about it. Any psychologist that would adjust you to this system has to be inherently stupid. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I, if it is the person that I think that I, they're talking about, I'm pretty sure you'll, you'll like what he has to say. But let's get on to uh, the next, um, next question. Now, this next question, actually, the person had posted one of your pictures that you used in one of your uh, shows with Larry King. You had a picture of the volcanic geothermal generator. Now, do you still uh, include the ideas of volcanic power plants in the Venus Project? Well, they are installing more and more in California, and Iceland has volcanic power, and Italy has it. It's happening all over the world now. And in Iceland, they grow bananas. Did you know that? In glass buildings with steam generated by volcanic heat. And they give the bananas to school children. And so you can grow fruits and vegetables all year round in glass buildings in Iceland. So once we learn to use it more efficiently, then we will be able to do much more. So really, they are installing it all over the world now. But it isn't only volcanic energy. According to volcanologists, they tell us that there's enough energy in the Earth to last thousands of years. There's that alone, I'm just talking about that alone. Then there's temperature differential in the oceans. The temperature between the upper portion of the ocean and the great depths, that can generate electricity. Waves can generate electricity. Tides can generate, generate electricity. The wind can generate electricity. There are thousands of possible ways of creating motion in objects without the use of fossil fuels. Okay. So basically when we're talking about volcanic, we're just basically, it's just another way of saying geothermal. You're equating volcanic with geothermal. Yes, yeah. yes. Okay. All right. Um, now, this quote is a question about communism. Um, there is someone who was interested in hearing what 
what about the time you had with communism, think, heard, and read. Basically, just talk about your experiences with communism, um, and then I'll ask the second part of the question. Oh, well, I had that experience with all different organizations, but I was uh, during the Depression, there were millions of Americans sleeping in every empty lot because the banks failed. It isn't that they didn't want to live in the house, they just didn't have access to the money they had in the banks. So I was listening to different people, and all school universities had kids sitting outside talking about social change. Those conditions induced that conversation. So I was standing in front of a man on a soapbox during the Depression. I must have been 13 or 14 years old. And he said, be with Sonny. I said, no, I want to hear what you've got to say. He said, why? Because I said, I don't believe what the Republicans say about the Democrats or what the Democrats say about the Republicans. I think they lie about each other. And I don't believe what our government says about the communists. So I want to hear what communism, communism is from you. He says, you can stay. And when we got through speaking, which was about an hour, I said, I'd like to ask you a thousand questions. He said, you have to go to the YPL, Young Communist League. Well, he gave me a notice, and I went there. The lecture was interesting, and the people there were very well read. So when the meeting was over, I said, how do you prevent corruption under communism? How do you prevent a dictatorship that has no concern for people? And how will you prevent artificial social stratification? And how will you house the masses? They said, oh, when that time comes, we'll work on it. I said, no, let's work on it now so we can prevent corruption. They said, you're a deviationist. You'll have to leave. You're deviating from the teachings of Marx. I would help any organization, Catholic, communist, fascist, in a better way of thinking. It is not that I set aside communism as being any better than anything else. They were all victims of culture. Conditions were so bad in Russia and human behavior was so abused that they revolted against the establishment, which happens in any culture. There's no good or bad societies. They are all basically in the state of evolution. So I would help any society. Can you understand that? Yep. No, absolutely. Um, now, the question, that, the next part of the question that they asked, what did you like about communism and what did you dislike about communism? Well, uh, there was a, a motion picture called The March of Time. I haven't seen it for 70 years. It was a typical with every newsreel in a motion picture theater. And they went to Soviet Union to see what they were doing. This is The March of Time, an American film. And they said this, we think the free enterprise system will generate more incentive, but we wish you the best of luck on your new novel, Unusual social experiment. I thought that was wonderful to be able to talk that way. You know, say, go ahead, let's see how it works. When a person designs a new type of airplane with a propeller on top, we say, gee, we wish you the best of luck. Social experiment is what's needed, not locking on to one system and keeping it the same continuously year in and year out. The future society should be an emergent society, not an established society. An established society does the same thing over and over again. An emergent society makes things different, change the city design, improve education, improve medical care, improve architecture. It's constantly in a state of emergence. 
I agree. Um, now, let me see. We've moved on to um, – okay, we got to communism. All right. Now, they also read something about communism uh, in regards to how the family unit would be changed that everybody would be responsible for children rather than just the father and mother. Uh, now, that basically got him to wondering, you know, it, how would that be in comparison to the RBE? That becomes more difficult to talk about because people are already conditioned to condition the one children. But if you had a child, say, 11 years old, and you loved that child very much, and a hospital called and said, we gave you the wrong baby, you're not going to turn it in. All children are pleasant. They all do about the same thing. All children are lovable. But when you're brought up to believe that I want my kid, my name, that's some sort of aberration. Because you're alive because of guys like Louis Pasteur, some Frenchman. You're alive because of the work of people all over the world. A mathematician named Algebra gave us algebra. So we have a lot we owe to a lot of people. And the future will be less self-centered family-centered, but humanly-centered, and earth-centered. Do you know what that means? To take care of everybody on earth and do the best you can with all children, not just your kids. Right. Family is extended, as they say. Yes, it's an extended family system throughout the globe. Right. Okay, well, um, that was all the questions that we initially had. Um, I'm actually happy that we got through all of them. Um, now, I went ahead and spent a little money from the donations to get a toll-free number. If you guys would like to call in and talk to Jacques and Roxanne, now you have no excuse. So <laughs> if you'd like to call in, the number is 877-259-0873. I'm going to post it in the chat. It's 1-877-259-0873. I can also still add you by Skype. If you're local in New York, then you can call that, and it costs me less money. But um, that being said, I'm going to go ahead and post that in here, and I'm going to go ahead and uh, uh, open the phone lines if anybody wants to call in. And until then, I'm going to just take this moment to talk to Jacques and Roxanne, and you guys can just hurry, gosh darn it. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to mention about this person in the very beginning who, who asked, why is it only one person? Well, it is only one person who did all the work in so many different areas that nobody was dealing with and came up with this direction. So, you know, if there's anyone else who wants to participate and add to it and understand it enough, this is fine. Or help continue it by, you know, helping to support the city and perhaps getting it done, this is great. But nobody else was working in this area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other thing was one Tesla, one Edison, Pasteur. Nothing was ever done by teamwork or governments. Every great social innovation, you'll have Madame Curie, Pierre Curie. There never has been a list of 20 people that contributed to something. The example of the Manhattan Project, where there are a lot of people, there was always one person who, who set forth the direction of how to solve the problem. Dr. Lawrence, Einstein, very few people in charge, Gillard. But there was not a teamwork. It was teamwork that was assigned different aspects of the chemistry of the problems. Right. It was some electrification problems. But it was always directed by few people. 
I'm not advocating that. I think in the future, more people will be capable of adding to ideas. So teamwork today is really not teamwork. It's under the jurisdiction of a chief engineer in some particular area. Chemistry, botany, electric, electronics, but there's no whole committee that works on the problem. They're assigned different tasks within the problem. Yeah, yeah. We'll need a lot of people to, to work on this direction. Yes, we do. Forth. And there's no technical elitism or any other kind of elitism. I'd like to make sure people understand that. There is no technical elitism. Excellent. You know, um, we do have a question from the chat room. Um, I have a question. What does Jock think about permaculture, the idea of keeping, like, things as local as opposed to a centralized system like the forest system. From what I have gathered, the Venus Project appears to be the opposite of permaculture. Well, I'd have to know what he meant by the term permaculture. I guess it's mostly local systems for your food, like trying to grow everything locally near you rather than at a distance. Yes, we'll try to do that because the energy it takes to grow food or, or mine for materials and then move it 3,000 miles. You have to add all that to the cost. So energy will be the basic method of evaluation during the transition. But once we arrive at nanotechnology, we can forget about energy certificates. Once we learn to harness the sun and geothermal energy, there'll be no shortages. It wouldn't have to be rationed. Excellent. We do have a caller. A uh, caller from the... 856 area code. Hold on. You are, you are, oh, no, you're not. There you go. You're on the air. 856 area code. Um, Doc and Roxanne, I have a question. I have three teenage children. They're 15, 17, and 19, and they're, they're on the cusp of, you know, deciding what they're going to do. What would you suggest that I uh, tell them? Anything in the, in the physical sciences. With that, that could help contribute to the world more so. Anything Electronics, computer science, robotics, uh, this is the future. Most other professions will be phased out. You can also get degrees in alternative energy now. I actually even thought about going back to college, and that's crazy yeah. for me to be trying to do. But alternative energy degrees you can get now on how to build solar panels, Wind, right. wind farms, geothermal plants, they, they're offering um, college courses specific. You can major in that now. Right. The businessman will be as obsolete as a dinosaur. The businessman, the lawyer, the investment broker, the banker will all disappear. They are parasitic to the growth of any society. Well, what about those of us who are older? Like, I'm in my 40s now. Um, I mean, do you suggest going back to school? Going back to school at 40. If you study some branch of the physical sciences, sociology is a very useful field, so cultural anthropology, the history of civilization, science, any branch of the physical sciences would be useful. Stay away from metaphysics, religion, idealist clubs like the American Humanist Society, that doesn't offer an alternative. Stay away from organizations that criticize the country without offering an alternative. 
Do you think, Jack, that uh, behavioral sciences would be useful, or do you think that the modern behavioral sciences, the way they're being taught, would not be useful? I would say it's a sort of an undeveloped system. It's very early stages of human behavior. They don't really have enough information to design a global society. If they did, all psychiatrists and all psychologists would be against putting a man in prison, killing people, war. They'd be against all that if they were educated. They, it's, it's really more of an art form today than a procedural form, so, you know, the study of human behavior. Okay. All right. Well, um, was that all? Did that answer your question? Okay, cool. Yeah. Thank you Thank for calling you. in. Bye. All right. Um, we're now down to 15 minutes, folks, so get your calls in now. You got your opportunity to talk to Mr. Fresco and Roxanne and me. Um, and, uh, you know, I've thought about that myself, actually, is the various ways that, you know, that I could educate myself. I even thought about learning how to build my old solar panels. I, I don't know. I think maybe my work might be better suited in uh, social awareness at this stage, but we'll see. Um, I, my fascination with robotics has made me interested, you know, in just doing it for myself, if nothing else. And maybe if my kids see me doing it, they'll be interested in it, too. So it's one way of looking at it. So. Um, there is somebody who wants to be added via Skype. Let me see if I can get them in here. Um, but uh, in any case, um, overall, guys, I would have to say, uh, you know, is there, um, as far as, like, is there anything else? To be, I mean, are you guys full up for your tour, or do you guys still have openings, or how is that working out? Um, you're talking about around-the-world tour? Yes. No, we are, we're pretty filled up almost every single weekend in a different location. Couldn't be, yeah. Oh, and even when we come back, we're going to Canada, and we're holding off on specific dates to the United States to see how it goes. And then if, if all goes well, after several months, we'll be starting to make a schedule to the United States as well. All right, good. You know, that's actually something some people had asked about is if you were going to do some more in the United States. So yes, um, that's on our, our return probably after about eight months, seven or eight months. You know, years ago, Larry King asked me what I thought of Christianity. I said, it's a wonderful idea. When are they putting it into practice? <laughs> that is one of my favorite of your jokes, actually. Um, so, all right, um, we do have a caller who wants to be added, and I've just found out which one they are. So give me just a moment, and I will pull them up. Thanks again for coming on, guys. It's always great to have you on, so go ahead and add this guy to the call. We appreciate it, Neil. No problem. All right, Mr. Hamill from England, uh, you are on the air. No, we're actually London, Canada. Uh, oh, but, uh, <laughs> that works. <laughs> All right, from Canada. Well, what did, did you have a question? Um, actually, uh, what I wanted to uh, ask is... Uh, we are very progressive here in Canada. I was wondering if you guys, especially considering the support that we've shown uh, through the Zeitgeist Movement, uh, would you guys ever consider uh, possibly putting one of the test cities here in, uh, in Canada? We would put it anywhere that uh, either the government or people would support it, you know, where people would support it. So we're really 
global in scope, and we have no allegiance to the United States or any particular country. Our allegiance is to the Earth and everyone on it. Excellent. Yep. Was that all? Um, I also wanted to say I'm looking forward to talking to you guys on the radio. This is um, I'm the gentleman who had called uh, a couple uh, days ago and actually booked an interview with you guys. So we're also looking to uh, looking forward to hearing the talk to you guys on the 29th as well. Thanks, can you guys. Can you give a link to that so that my listeners know where to find you? Um, yeah, I'll put it in the chat. Okay, well, what's the name of your show so my listeners who are not going to be able to get the chat can find your show? Zeitgeist London Radio. Okay, not to be mistaken for Zeitgeist London, England. All right. <laughs> That's correct, yeah. Don't be a bonehead like me. All right, but yeah, it's <laughs> totally fine for you to push your radio shows on my show, man. As long as they're on target, I don't care. That's how we get this done. It's all through word of mouth. So, All right, thank you for calling in. No problem. Okay. Thanks. All right. Now... Okay, we are now down to the last 11 minutes, folks. Um, those are some great calls. Somebody's got to be willing to come on here. Come on now. I even went and got you a toll-free number, so it doesn't even have to cost you anything. If you're from out of the United States uh, or you know um, the local area, then I can still add you for free via Skype. If you have Skype, I'd prefer that you call in that way because then it doesn't cost anything on the minutes. I basically have to buy... 500-minute uh, blocks of toll-free for you guys, which is fine with me. If you have another way to get in, then by all means do. Um, but, yeah, the so further information on the Zeitgeist London radio show, it is on Blog Talk Radio, um, and you can find it TZM London. You're going to have to search for that. Um, I am hoping to add all of these radio shows to the future Zeitgeist Global Radio Station. Um, so that being said, look at the switchboard here. Nope. So um, now I guess uh, I would have to say, you know, so far out of all of your, your lectures, Jacques, were there any moments in particular that really stuck out, like any of the, particularly from the non-English speaking countries, is that, is there been any, been any moments there that have really, like, been different for you? I'd say the interesting thing about it is that most people, I'd say 90% seem very interested. Mm -hmm. And that is unusual. They really ask, they ask good questions, but uh, due to the fact that they're not well enough informed as to what the Venus Project is, I would suggest that people look up the Venus Project, thevenusproject.com. Don't project your own values into it. Look into it, read our literature, then ask questions. Otherwise, you're going to ask a lot of questions that are automatically answered in our videotapes in our books. Yeah, I usually so have to... books and tapes is so we don't have to answer the same question over and over again. Yeah, I usually have to ask people, to, you know, did you actually do any of the studying? And it's surprising how many people will become such vocal critics. I mean, uh, me and uh, Brandy Hume on the last show, actually, she, had, she does this thing on YouTube called the Venus Project Challenge. You guys should really check it out. Um, and uh, we had this guy, he, did, he said he studied the FAQ, the FAQ, for 30 seconds, and that was enough for this guy to make 20 minutes worth of videos where he's complaining about the Venus Project. He didn't even know anything about it. Um, so that being said, we actually have Douglas Mallet uh, on the – or if I'm, I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly, Doug – on the line nope. you're on the air? <laughs> you're close. Okay. It's, it's, it's Mallet that rhymes with Gillette like the shaver. 
Got it, Doug. Well, did you have a question for Jack and Roxanne? Uh, yes. First, uh, thank you very much for being on the radio. It's a pleasure to finally get a hold uh, of you two in a conversation. Um, I don't know. My name has been floating around a little bit recently. I'm not sure if you know of who I am or anything. Um, but I recently made the Awakening video that's kind of going around in YouTube. And one of the and, and I'm a I'm an aerospace systems engineer with the space shuttle program. Nice and job. Yeah. So we have it on our website, you know, the final one. We put it up on our website. Right. Yeah, uh, yes, I did. I recently find that that was on the front page there, and that was uh, unexpected and awesome. Thank you very much. <laughs> but, uh, and so my question was, given my engineering background and everything, I'm very much a hands-on, I want to build something kind of person, or at least uh, work with the team to build things. And I, I know we're not anywhere close to doing cities. That's not what I'm talking about. And I've gotten into forum debates on this in the past. But what I'm interested in is smaller scale representations of what the full system would look like or parts of the system. Uh, and I think one of the easiest ways to, to do this is to get people at their stomachs and start doing fully automated solar and wind combo powered hydroponic farm units that cater to neighborhoods at first. They're just little simple systems that maybe could yield enough to feed a thousand people in the local area. But on the side would be a video screen or a plasma TV attached to it in some way on the inside so people can't damage it but still see it as a running advertisement that says basically brought to you by the Venus Project in a way to show people we have the technical capability but it would be done by a nonprofit organization. So there was no, there's no profit motive in doing this. It's just gathering funds. And I know you guys shy away from that in, in certain ways. But I think if you gathered the funds to build these kinds of systems and put them in uh, deprived areas of cities in the U.S. and even, of course, overseas in poor regions that are starving to death, that systems like that would start garnering a lot of attention. And since it's nonprofit and you can set these things up to be as high quality as possible. We hit the biggest benefit to reach the most people. I'm just wondering what your thoughts would be on that. Well, I, I think it's a great idea if people want to do that. We really don't shy away on trying to get funds because we live in the, non, in, in the monetary system. And when people say, you know, you shouldn't raise funds to do what you're doing, then that puts all the burden on us to produce all this material. So we really don't have the funds to do what you're talking about. If we, and, but I think it's a great idea. Anything that, that pushes the system and, and exposes the system to other people are good. It's good. But if we had funding, what we would do is the major motion picture because we think it would reach more people in the, in the fastest amount of time and it would introduce these, this new value system to, to the broadest amount of people. And um, it would help give society a direction to work toward, to move toward. And while your idea is great, it, I don't know if it really explains this direction. If you feed and house, clothe, and, and house and clothe people locally, it doesn't really take care of the problem. It's a good advertisement. But um, that's why we think the film would really introduce something that's very new and kind of social. We look at it as social therapy to help set the direction. So that's okay. what we need with funds if we have it, and, and, and we need the funding. 
I, I, I totally agree with your perspective on that. I'm thinking more along the lines of what if I were to start my own nonprofit and get my own funds? Nothing that would deter from what you guys are trying to do, which I think is awesome. Like I said, I have some connections with people who've been in the film industry for 15 years. So we can have another conversation about that later as soon as, as, soon as I talk to him because he worked yeah, on Ghostbusters. What you're doing at all sounds terrific. You know, all that helps. Okay. All right. Well, I was just wondering, is it okay if I were to go down that path and create a nonprofit and get the funding and start putting these systems out, could we attach – I don't want to say attach. Could we use the Venus Project as brought to you by or inspired by or something to that effect so Be that – Okay. And all right. We have a nonprofit organization too. I mean, we can talk about using that if you'd like or using your own, whatever. Um, I'd like to use one that already exists because I've never done it before. So I might be an engineer, but I don't know how to do that. <laughs> so. Well, that, that was not easy to get. We had to try three times. So we do have one. Okay, then uh, we can have another conversation later on off the radio. I don't want to usurp all the time. But uh, thank you very much for, for letting me chat with you a bit. Thank you. Thanks for your interest. Thank you, Jacques. You're awesome. Thank you, sir. Thank you. We definitely have some exciting developments coming out of that then. I'm actually really happy that I could get the two of you talking because I think that'll be great for the future of the Venus Project. Um, and, uh, you know, that basically uh, we're now down to the last four minutes or so. Um, I guess uh, what I'm going to do here is what I typically do whenever I have Jacques on because I found that Jacques is best if you just let him go. So, Jacques, um, I'm going to give you the rest of this time. I'll let you know when we're getting to the end. I may have to interrupt you. <laughs> so... Um, just because otherwise it's going to cut off in the middle of your sentence. But um, go ahead and uh, take the floor here for these last few minutes and, uh, you know, address the people who are listening. I have about a 1,000 listeners all over the world. Okay. We don't have to convince everybody. When you really think about it, all of the wonders of technology, transportation, aircraft, telephone, washing machine, refrigerators, are really on the backs of probably no more than 200 people that gave us all these wonderful things. So you don't need to convince everybody. You have to convince people in the right positions that can do these things, that can bring them about or, or help support the motion picture. Again, when people get mad at me sometimes, they say, you want to give people things for nothing. Now, I'd like you to think about this. Just being born in any advanced country, you've got the radio, television machines, telephones, automobiles, airplanes, all for nothing. You didn't work on any of those things. Does it hurt you? Of course not. So don't worry. People worry about giving things to people for nothing. But they work for nothing. Yep. Um... Well, we're now down to the last 90 seconds of the show, Jacques. Thank you very much for coming on. Thank you, Roxanne. Um, a lot Thank of great... You. Thank you for everything you've done. Yes, Thank you. all your work. It's been wonderful. I appreciate well, it. I appreciate it, and that's, you know, that's why I'm here. It actually gives my life purpose, because I, I actually sit and think to myself, what am I contributing as a stay-at-home father? And then I, I realize when I get the emails from people that they love this show and they love what you're doing, and it actually gives me some, of some fulfillment you talk about, you know, real motivation. That's what brings me on to this. So I also thank you. So many people. Yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, Thanks again, Neil. 
Thanks. You guys take care, and I look forward to, you know, uh, getting back in touch with you thanks to the Internet. Hopefully I'll be able to do some more of these shows with you during your tour. We'd love it. Excellent. That's great. All right. Well, thanks again, everybody, for tuning in to V Radio. Um, the donation chip-ins are up again, and uh, if you guys are interested in helping me with that, please do. Um, you don't have to worry about the monthly chip-in yet, but I did put up another blue chip-in because I had forgotten that I had actually put a limit on the previous one um, that will be lower than what would actually be able to help me with the computer. So that's why there's another one. Thank you, everybody, for like actually helping me with that because it's we're now coming to the time now that my computer mysteriously dies all the time. So thanks again for tuning in to V Radio. Hold on just a moment.